Star Wars 7x7 episode 2153. Continuing our conversation about the rise of Skywalker and Return of the Jedi, today we're going to take a look at it from a structural perspective, in particular two very critical elements. First of all, the time frame in between their previous movies and also the big bad that has to be defeated. Punch it! Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy. And thank you so much for joining me for it. So, as I started thinking about how we tackle the idea of structure with The Rise of Skywalker and Return of the Jedi, I got to thinking that we can't really address that until we address something else first, which is the time frame in between the previous movies and also what the ultimate evil is that they have to defeat, that our good guys have to defeat in both of those movies. For Return of the Jedi, it's a year after the events of The Empire Strikes Back, and you know, why is it a year? <laughs> that question exists. But it kind of has to be based on the way that things were set up in The Empire Strikes Back, with Han having been taken away and our heroes deciding that one of the priorities has to be to rescue him from Jabba the Hutt. You know that it can't be five years, ten years down the line. Like, it has to be within a year before they rescue him. Otherwise, you know, how long are they going to let him sit there? Like, they can't just do that, right? So that kind of helps to dictate the time frame of things. And the other thing has to do with the big bad business, which in this case is a second Death Star, right? So... One of the things that has never really been talked about is why a second Death Star, right? You know, oh man, we're just going back to the same thing but bigger? Well, if you actually think about it, just based on the time frame that gets established for all intents and purposes with the prequel trilogy, it takes a long time to build one of these Death Stars. And so you have to imagine that if you know progress was going decently on one, why wouldn't they want to start building another one? In other words, it isn't as though they blew up the first one in A New Hope and the Empire's response was, man, let's just build a bigger one and be done with it. And then we'll really stick it to those rebels. No, that sucker had to have been under construction and underway long before the rebels blew up the one in A New Hope. But the Emperor did actually put more of a priority in developing the Imperial Starfleet in the intervening years after the explosion of the first Death Star. That is detailed to some degree in Star Wars comics now, particularly in the Darth Vader series of past years. And... Yeah, you would imagine that he's probably, you know, learned his lesson by having not one but both Death Stars blown up. And that's why, instead of having a third Death Star waiting off in the Unknown Regions, why it's a giant Starfleet instead. And following along with the theme of miniaturized Death Star tech that we see introduced in The Last Jedi, well, they have the same kind of miniaturized Death Star tech on these Sith Star Destroyers because each one of them can blow up a planet, right? So for me at least, the notion of a Sith fleet does make a kind of sense based on the Emperor's past history and based on, you know, sort of the natural evolution of technology in Star Wars. It, it does make sense, logically. And then of course there's the Emperor himself who 
has survived by you know cloning and some arcane Sith secrets and whatnot. This stuff actually ends up tying back to things established in the old expanded universe, which is now Legends. The fact that he had cloned bodies and was able to transfer his essence in various ways. So that also you know builds on past history in its own way too. And it makes me think of. J.J. Abrams being interviewed prior to the release of The Rise of Skywalker, and one of the words that he kept saying was satisfied, that he hoped people would be satisfied by the ending of the Skywalker saga, which suggests that there were a lot of different notes that he was trying to hit, and a lot of different audiences that he was trying to touch in his particular way. So that gives you the comparative for the big bad that has to get defeated, the Sith fleet in The Rise of Skywalker, along with Palpatine, or the second Death Star in Return of the Jedi, along with Palpatine as well. Circling back to the whole question of time and the fact that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it's a year in between Empire and Return of the Jedi, and it kind of has to be structurally based on the way things were left at the end of Empire. But does it have to be that way in The Rise of Skywalker? It is actually kind of coincidental that Rise of Skywalker takes place about a year after the events of The Last Jedi, just like Empire and Return of the Jedi are a year apart as well. That's just, you know, odd coincidence. But, you know, why wasn't it five years or ten years like, you know, some people talked about in the intervening years for us waiting for The Rise of Skywalker to come out. Myself included, it seemed like there needed to be enough time in order for the Resistance to build up a credible force to take on the First Order. Well, obviously that's not exactly the case, and when you give it some thought, it makes sense that it has to be in a much shorter time frame. It has to be a year instead of five or ten years. And that also goes back to The Last Jedi as well, to Rey's statement to Luke where she talks about how the First Order military will have control of the galaxy in a matter of weeks. And maybe that was you know, giving them a little more credit, maybe not, but ultimately if any strong resistance, any pushback against the First Order's incursion into the known galaxy was going to happen, it had to happen sooner rather than later because once the First Order really clamped down on everything, it would make it a lot harder to fight back. And that also then explains why the Emperor picks that time to get involved as well. Because if the First Order had managed to gain complete control of the galaxy, then why would Kylo Ren ever respond to an entreaty from the Emperor and to, you know, partner with him? Like, they would come to destroy the Emperor if they could instead of being open to whatever offer the Emperor was about to give. Although I suppose it does open the door for a what-if scenario. Can you imagine what might have happened if the First Order tried to take control of the galaxy, but then the Emperor said, Ha ha, you think you've got control of this? Look at all the ships I got! And showed up out of the unknown regions and just started picking off the First Order and saying, Okay, First Order, you got that choke point on a hyperspace lane? Now I'm here and, you know, we're gonna take over that choke point. And then they just usurped everything that the First Order was doing, and then suddenly the First Order would have to partner with the Resistance in some fashion to try to repel the greater evil of the Emperor and the reinvigorated Sith Empire. That's obviously not what happened, but you know, the more I gave it some thought, it had to be within a year or close to it because 
that meant that the First Order couldn't necessarily have total control over the galaxy, that people would still feel like they had the ability to fight back if word could be gotten to them, which is obviously what happens, and also it puts the Emperor in a different position for his negotiation with the First Order and with Kylo Ren about how to, you know, partner together and, you know, who's going to <laughs> mess over who, who's going to stab who in the back and all that stuff. And so ultimately from a structural perspective and the goals of what has to happen in the two movies, it turns out that Return of the Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker have a lot more in common than what might appear on their faces at first. And that's where we're going to leave the structural conversation for today. That's where we're going to leave this podcast episode as well. One favor before we go, it's a favor I ask from time to time. If you have not given the show a rating on your favorite podcast app of choice, I hope today is the day that you will do it. And thank you to the hundreds of folks who have already rated the show on their favorite podcast apps of choice. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining me as always. And... May the curve be flattening for you, wherever in the world you may be. This is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox. This is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other related Star Wars items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2019 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.